Um, it's the eighth day, of course. This is the seventh day, the day after the seventh day. So it's kind of the, uh, the diaspora, of course, observance of Passover. So we're just about done. It has been a really busy couple of weeks. I know David and Jeanette especially have been put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into the past couple of weeks, and so has like Patricia Troost. Um, it's been re- rewarding, but it's been a long week. Yes, there we go. I normally don't have this up here, but the printer wasn't working, so actually it's probably my fault for I'm not figuring something out right. But many thanks to many people. Many thanks especially to Lori. Um, Lori is uh, just uh, visiting for a couple weeks. She drives the van out there. And uh, um, I know yesterday, yeah, yesterday I came early to set up. And Sherry, who normally kind of helps out with that, is traveling to Florida. And um, it was... uh, Patricia couldn't get out of work, and so I was a little bit nervous how, you know, uh, the whole Onegin kitchen thing really isn't my thing. I'm out of my element down there a little bit. And, but Lori was here, and she came and just started, was very helpful getting uh, set up. And so I just, yeah, Lori, thank you for that. She's sort of a, um, a messianic gypsy. I'm not sure how quite to describe her, you know, because she's just kind of... <laughs> travel in the country to different messianic communities. I'm not exactly sure the job description that is, but so, yeah, was, thank you for that. It's been a, so, yeah, so Passover. Um, yesterday, we did the Meal of Messiah, of course. That's something that Rav Mike had done. He actually wrote some, found some stuff that he had written about it, um, just about uh, like we described yesterday, the beginning of it, how it was originally a, a Hasidic event, a celebration that they started a few hundred years ago. And, and so that was just really cool to kind of stumble across some of, some of the stuff that Rav Mike had talked about. That was the first time I had ever done uh, the Meal of Messiah, so it was pretty encouraging. Now, Passover, of course, is um, you think a lot about freedom and Rav Lorberg, of course, wrote a lot about freedom. And freedom itself is an interesting concept when you think about it. It's just a word. It just mean, there's, And it means different things to different people, of course. You ask a military man, what's freedom? He was going to describe that as, you know, the land of the free, right? Because of the brave. Or you ask a banker what freedom is. Maybe he talks about the free market, you know? What is freedom to people? The eclectic might say, uh, freedom's just uh, another word for nothing left to lose. (laughs) Interesting notion in and of itself, so. But we have freedom, of course, Passover is about their freedom from Egypt. The Hebrew word for Egypt, of course, we know is Mitzrayim. there is a root word in there called a shorish, and that root is mem resh, and it means a narrow place. So going out from Egypt could be rendered as going through a narrow place that leads to life. Very interesting idea. 
the redemption, of course, then, the move from slavery to freedom is really uh, a movement from a place that's narrow or where we're stuck, like Egypt, to, uh, to freedom. This uh, sense of freedom or trying to get free should be, of course, a universal uh, human experience. Everybody kind of wants to be free, or at least says that, but there are many people that just seem to be stuck in situations and habits that sort of enslave them. Even going back thousands of years, um, ancient pagans believed that if you were born a certain way, like a slave, you're destined to be a slave your whole life, and die that way, um, kind of deterministic, but um, Pesach is uh, proof of that, that you can change your situation, you can go from slavery to freedom. And so for thousands of years, the story of the Passover is something that's been very encouraging to a lot of people. The book of Matthew, our master, in chapter 7, like this big Bible. It's easy to see the words. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. There's just a couple of verses I was going to read here. Matthew 7, 13 talks about, um, our master says, go in through the narrow gate, right? For the gate that leads to destruction is wide and the road is broad. Many of us know this verses by heart. And many travel it, but it is a narrow gate and a hard road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So some of us and some people become um, almost victimized by their own slavery status. They have bad habits and addictions that are, um, that are just difficult to break. And there's other areas in our lives, too, that uh, we cannot always control our things on, you know, things of the flesh. Um, carrying unnecessary loads or baggage. It's, uh, it's difficult to go through the narrow gate with lots of that baggage. And change is difficult, but it's doable. So this then is the freedom lesson of the Exodus story and the receiving of our redemption by the blood of the Lamb, going through the narrow gate and taking the hard road. Those are all, that's all mixed right in there. The kingdom, of course, the kingdom of Yeshua, it's only... Um, accessed by the narrow gate, of course, and it's, uh, it's not very easy, and the way of the world is uh, very wide, and at times that's not very easy either. But there are many good and well-intentioned people that go through the wide gate and travel the broad road, and only a few uh, struggling to get through life and get down to that narrow path, it seems like. Thankfully, the truth of God's word is uh, beginning to be, at least in some circles, um, sort of uh, looked at in a new and refreshing way, of course. That's why many of us are here in this building. But when you think about freedom, Scripture talks uh, of many things about freedom, of course. Um, There are also, it warns against false promises of freedom. Um, One such warning that uh, the, our Rav uh, wrote about was in 2 Peter um, chapter 2.15. There's warnings here about um, promoters of heresies and false teachings. Interesting that he put this in a teaching on freedom, and I think it's because we need to be free of these people. 
page 1522 is where the Rav would have us. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, if you have a different version of Scripture. This is also another um, fairly well-known um, passage. Verse 15, it begins like this. These people have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam ben Boor, who loved the wages of doing harm but was rebuked for his sin. A dumb beast of burden spoke out with a human voice and restrained the prophet's insanity. Of course, that's Balaam and the talking donkey. Waterless springs they are, mists driven by a gust of wind. For them has been reserved the blackest darkness. Mouthing grandiosities, <clears throat> grandiosities of nothingness, they play on the desires of the old nature in order to seduce with debaucheries people who have just begun to escape those whose way of life is wrong. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For a person is a slave to whatever has defeated him. Indeed, if they have once escaped the pollutions of the world through knowing our Lord and Deliverer, Yeshua the Messiah and then have again become entangled and defeated by them, then their latter condition has become worse than their former. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than fully knowing to turn from the holy command that was uh, delivered to them. No one can argue the fact, at least in this building certainly, that Yeshua came to bring freedom. Luke writes um, in his book, the following. Now he went up to Nazareth where he had been brought up. On Shabbat he went to the synagogue as usual and he stood up to read and was given the scroll of Isaiah and he writes and he read, the spirit of Adonai is upon me therefore he has anointed me to announce good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the imprisoned, right? And so we know that only Yeshua can bring about true freedom and so uh, we stick to the word, certainly, that, uh, that's where we know the source of truth is at and our source of freedom, but we also have to be aware that we need to free ourselves from some of these false teachers and false doctrines, which really are very pervasive. I mean, it's, you know, the Catholic Church does a lot of really good things. They feed a lot of poor people. You got to give them that. And I got some great friends of mine that are Catholics. But early on, you know, they kind of, they went wayward, you know, changing the Shabbat to a Sunday. Now they're depriving themselves of some blessings they can have on Shabbat and relegating the Torah to something being sort of just uh, done away with, fulfilled. You know, they kind of, there's a lot of doctrines and teachings there that you kind of need to be aware of, need to kind of, then moving forward through time, the reformers come along, and of course, they are going to, uh, they want to get back to the Bible alone, so it so sounds like they've got a good thing going, right? It's a great idea. But then they just turn around and make doctrines and theologies of their own, so not a whole lot different. Um, really foundational is just the, that loss of Torah as a foundation. They do good things, but it's hard to find that narrow gate without a good foundation. 
The scriptures do show, however, that real spiritual freedom has to have at least a couple different standards, three different standards, which are tied to Yeshua's sacrifice for our sins, of course. And the first is that freedom comes through the truth of God's word, not through creeds or anything like that, although some of them can be helpful. But it's just the, the words themselves. We find Yeshua in the temple court engaged in a discussion with a group of people who were deluding themselves into believing they were free. I'm going to read a little bit from the book of John, chapter 8. It's on 1341, if you'd like to follow along. Or I'll read it for you. John 8, I'm going to begin in verse 21. So Yeshua's here is getting into it with them. John 8, 21. Again, he told them, I'm going away and you will look for me, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And the Judeans said, is he going to commit suicide? Is that what he means when he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? But Yeshua says to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. This is why I say to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not trust that I am who I say I am, you will die in your sins. At this they said to him, You, who are you? Yeshua answered, Just what I've been telling you from the start. There are many things I could say about you and judgments I could make. However, the one who sent me is true. So I say, uh, In the world, only that what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was talking to them about the Father. So Yeshua said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am who I say I am, and that of myself I do nothing, but only what the Father has taught me. Also, the one who sent me is still with me. He did not leave me to myself, because I always do what pleases him. Many, Jude, many people who heard him say these things trusted in him. So Yeshua said to the Judeans who had trusted him, if you Obey what I say, then you are really my Talmudim, my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered, uh, we are the seed of Abraham, and have never been slaves to anyone. So what do you mean by saying, you'll be set free, you will be set free? And Yeshua says to them, yes, indeed, I tell you that everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. Now a slave does not remain with a family forever, but a son does remain with it forever. So here, these guys are talking about uh, that they're free because you know, see, we are the seed of Abraham and we've never been slaves to anyone. I mean, really, they're slaves to the Roman Empire at this point. So they're kind of a little out there um, just from that simple fact. But clearly, Yeshua is talking about being spiritually free here. And that is um, founded in God's word, because that's where the truth is. And uh, also later in the book of John, back in chapter 17, he prays uh, to the Father, saying, Set them apart for holiness by means of the truth. Your word is truth. So with great clarity, then, we can say that freedom um, demands that a person understand truth and that truth is the word of God. Many people have Bibles in their homes, um, 
and rarely crack them open. But that's where the truth is, and that's where freedom lies. Additionally, we have to have that spirit to assist us in this. Later in the book of John, uh, chapter 16, which is just a couple pages over. John chapter 16, verse 12. I have many things to tell you. This is um, what he says. I have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. However, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not um, speak on his own initiative, but will say only what he hears. He will also announce to you the events of the future. He will glorify me because, the, because he will receive from what is mine and announce it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I said he receives from what is mine and will announce it to you. The text points out that it's God's spirit, right, that is the deliverer of that truth in sorts. And so in conjunction, Yeshua is uh, pre-authenticating here um, new covenant scriptures that the Talmudim would soon write because at this time, obviously, there was no New Testament. You know, when he talks about God's word, they would understand that as Torah. But when he's talking about the spirit giving them words of truth, he is... Uh, pre-authenticating um, the New Testament scriptures at this point. That the Ruach, the Spirit, um, is going to inspire them to read, and it's also going to help inspire us to understand them and just encourage us in those efforts. Rabbi Shaul, or the Apostle Paul, confirms once again in the book of 2 Corinthians, he says... Um, and I'll just quote this for you here really quick. Uh, he says in part that the Torah, whenever someone turns to Adonai, the veil is taken away. Now Adonai in this text means a spirit, and where the spirit of Adonai is, there is freedom. And so Rabbi Shaul is linking the spirit, of course, and freedom there with the word of God. And the last part of it, when we understand that the, the, the word and the spirit are essential in attaining true freedom. Rob's third point was to look at the law of God. Everyone craves, of course, a certain amount of freedom, but every freedom has a price to pay. And there seems to be a mindset out there among any, uh, many people that call themselves believers, right, that they are uh, um, really free, set free from really anything, uh, any kind of law, any kind of thing that is restrictive of them because they're, uh, they're in part of the new covenant now, and that guarantees complete freedom for them. But using uh, the Bible properly, you can tell that um, that sort of very liberal type mindset is a bit on the wider path than it is on the narrow path. James chapter 1 talks about law and freedom. James is a incredible short little book. That is for sure. It's 
got some good nuggets in there. It's James chapter 1. Say 1510. Of course, verse 21 is where I'm going to begin. James 1, 21, so rid yourself of all vulgarity and obvious evil and receive meekly the word implanted in you that can save your lives. Don't deceive yourselves by only hearing what the word says, but do it. So here there's a sort of an emphasis on um, deed over creed, right? Creeds are nice, but James is a little more interested in what you're actually doing than what you're thinking. So the perfect Torah, of course, or uh, heralding back to Matthew 5.17, the complete Torah, is the, the Torah is like a mirror, right? Um, it, when you look at it, it should be, your life should be reflective of what you read in those pages. That's why Paul talks about in Romans 3 that, um, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 states, For in his sight no one alive will be considered righteous, just on the ground of legalistic Torah commands, but because what the Torah really does is show how people, how sinful they are. The believer uses this perfect Torah as a mirror, sort of as uh, an assessment of your spiritual condition for, and for correction and for it to groom your behavior on a daily basis. And so that requires action, not just belief. Later on in the book of James, James chapter 2, verse 12, he continues, Keep speaking and acting like people who will be judged by a Torah which gives freedom. The Torah gives freedom. It's not something you want to be free from. The Torah provides freedom. For judgment will be without mercy towards one who doesn't show mercy, but mercy wins out over judgment. So the freedom, true freedom, of course, is found in, uh, in the Word. Loving obedience to God's law, of course, this Torah, isn't a, any kind of attempt at salvation, really. It's just... Uh, a response about how to best live life, best uh, serve God, and um, please the creator of the universe who gave us that revelation of himself. And, and uh, that's how we know what he wants and what he likes. And that lays a great foundation um, for a great healthy spiritual life that can lead you down the narrow path that leads to salvation. So it's a little bit ironic that we gain freedom through Messiah Yeshua, but we become slaves to him as well. 1 Corinthians 7.22 says, For a person who was a slave when he was called is the Lord's free man. Likewise, someone who was a free man when he was called a slave of the Messiah. You are bought at a price, so do not become slaves of other human beings. So in a sense... We are a slave to Messiah, um, a uh, bond servant, if you will. But that shows you that true freedom comes through, the, of course, the word and ultimately the resurrection. But um, we're only free in the sense that the Torah provides uh, the laws that allow us to be free. And so as we come through this Pesach season and this Passover season, we should just be encouraged 
that, of course, we are grateful, and um, there's uh, nothing we could possibly do to show the amount of appreciation we have for um, the life uh, and resurrection of our Master Yeshua, and that as we go forward counting the Omer, um, we need to just stay in our Torah and um, pray that God give us the wisdom um, to discern and to stay in his word and that the spirit is with us and will help us endure uh, many difficult times and that the uh, love of Yeshua is something that radiates out from us for everyone to see. Um, ultimately, true freedom comes through the resurrection at Messiah's return. May that be soon and in our days. Shabbat shalom.